Good morning and welcome to chapel. We especially want to welcome prospective students and board members who are here with us this morning. We also acknowledge that today is our last day of our Sexual Violence Awareness Week. And today is Purple and Teal Day to show our support and solidarity. So it's great to see lots of purple and teal out there. All right, I'm Renee Weaver. And I'm Emily Crabill. Um, and this summer, we were both a part of the Ministry Inquiry Program, which is a program where Goshen students are placed within a congregation or ministry setting for the summer and serve that community in a variety of ways. Um, I was working here in this church, actually with um, College Mennonite Church, but my Ministry Inquiry Program was a bit unique in that it was a mixture of service, inquiry, and ministry. Um, so I was helping to coordinate a six-week deaf camp here for children in the area. And I was in Elkhart working at the Mennonite Church USA offices, and I was working as an intern with the executive board on a women in leadership project. The goals of the MI program are to encourage students to explore their personal and spiritual identity. This summer, eight Goshen students participated in the program. Last May term, the MIP students led a send-off chapel where we reflected on the upcoming summer. We invited people to come to the front and write their summer hopes and expectations on a paper leaf and put the leaf on a tree up at the front. As a group, we reflected on the symbolism of being one tree with many different leaves. Now, returning to campus after each going our separate ways, we are once again in the same place. As our MIP group has realized, rather than being changed by what we expected from our summers, we found most meaning in the unexpected encounters along the way. Today, you will hear some stories from MIP students about how they found God in those unexpected moments. We invite you to also reflect on what the unexpected looks like in your lives. We now light this candle as a symbol of God's presence here among us. Please join me in prayer. Spirit of peace, quiet our hearts. Heal our anxious thoughts. Free us from our fretful ways. Breathe on us your holy calm, so that in the stillness of your presence, we may open ourselves to trust and be transformed in the unexpected. Amen. We now invite Justin to come up and lead us in a song. Let's stand to sing number 594 in the hymnal. Number 594, Lord, you sometimes speak. And we'll sing verses 1, 3, and 5.
Well, I spent my summer at Hyattsville Mennonite Church in Hyattsville, Maryland, which is a bustling suburb just northeast of Washington, D.C. And while I can think of quite a few unexpected moments from my ministry inquiry work at Hyattsville, two incidents stand out to me as particularly meaningful encounters with the God who meets us in unexpected places. The first came a few weeks into my time at the church in the form of my first official pastoral care visit. Now, because Hyattsville is a metropolitan church that attracts a lot of professionals who live and work in the city, the congregation includes a large population of young families and middle-aged members and barely any elderly members. Um, In fact, on my first Sunday with the congregation, I met the person who my supervising pastor, Cindy, described as our one old person. She was an 80-something-year-old woman I'll call Sarah, who lived with her niece and nephew and spent her days sitting out on their front porch, reading and enjoying the quiet neighborhood in the company of her beloved parakeet, who sat in a cage nearby. Because Sarah was our one old person, Pastor Cindy had warned me not to expect the same sort of opportunities for pastoral care one would find in a congregation with many aging and ailing members. So I was indeed surprised to find myself heading over to Sarah's house on a sunny June afternoon to attend to a unique crisis. Sarah's dear parakeet had flown away, and she couldn't get him to come back. Cindy saw this situation as an excellent opportunity for me to gain some pastoral care experience, but I was pretty apprehensive. I knew Sarah was in the early to mid-stages of dementia, one of those scary, cruel, memory-targeting diseases. How was I to carry on a conversation with her and offer pastoral care support when she might not remember what we'd talked about a minute ago? What's more, her parakeet had been a close companion, a source of pride and joy for many years, and now it was likely gone forever, lost in the great urban jungle. What could I possibly say when the situation seemed so bleak for Sarah? Well, I arrived at Sarah's house carrying all these worries and doubts, fearing disaster, And I sat down on the porch swing next to her. The parakeet's empty cage sat on the railing a few feet away. She told me how his escape had happened, shaking her head at her own negligence with a sad frown on her face. And then we talked. I had no profound words to say, no great inspiration, no poetic expression of comfort and hope. Mostly I listened, nodded, said, Sarah, I'm sorry. And for a while, we cycled through the same basic conversation as she told the story of the bird's escape over and over. But we sat there together for over an hour, and soon I noticed that we were cycling through other conversations, talking about her growing up years, her family, her work, her travels. By the end of our time together, Sarah looked considerably less forlorn and anxious, and I imagine so did I. There on that porch together, we had both encountered the comforting, healing love of God, and not, I realized, through eloquently crafted prayers of petition or perfect expressions of sympathy, but through the simple rituals of sitting, listening, sharing, being present to one another. This listening and sharing were exactly what I predicted would not be happening at the annual gathering of representatives from all the churches in Allegheny Mennonite Conference in early August. Seven years ago, Allegheny Mennonite Conference stripped Hyattsville of its voting rights in the conference because of the congregation's open and affirming stance towards LGBT members. 
Over the past months, I had heard from members and leaders at Hyattsville how painful and frustrating that disciplinary action had been, and I had been warned of the tension and conflict that often hung thick in the air at conference-wide gatherings because of the issue. Going into this meeting, I braced myself for a weekend of disapproving glances, condemning words, and heated arguments from a fractured conference and denomination. What I found that weekend surprised me. Genuine expressions of support, respect, care, laughter and fellowship across lines of difference and disagreement, joyful collaboration in the creative work of exploring vision and priorities for the conference. And during the Sunday morning worship service, a time of committing ourselves to being the body of Christ in spite of all our individual and communal failures. The conference, I know, was still far from united and conflict still lingered below the surface. But in the gathering space of that weekend, we encountered the healing love of God. Nothing is lost on the breath of God, says one of our hymns from Sing the Story. Nothing is lost forever. I think this may have been my main takeaway from the summer. No feather too light, no beginning too late, no beloved pet too small, no church too fractured. God's love will remain in the situations we least expect to encounter God, holding us forever. So I invite us to sing now, Nothing is Lost on the Breath of God, number 121 in Sing the Story. And we'll sing better if we stand, so let's do that. Thank you. 
Hello, my name is Jeffrey Moore. I'm a senior communications and Bible and religion double major, and I spent my summer at Oak Grove Mennonite Church in Smithville, Ohio. Going into the summer, I expected to shadow the lead pastor, Doug Zare, and learn about his day-to-day life. And that happened. I expected to do some pastoral visitation, meet some really interesting people, and that happened perhaps a little bit more than I anticipated. I expected to learn how to preach, to lead music, to teach Sunday school, and some of that happened too. I did not expect that my most memorable conversation would come while spending in the church parking lot, spending the whole night in the church parking lot guarding a pile of lumber. You see, the biggest surprise for me at Oak Grove was its, well, was part of its summer building project, its service project working with Habitat for Humanity. They had built, working up to this mission of building a house for a family in the community. And not far into my time with them came the day where we would gather all of the two-by-fours together and on a Saturday morning construct the frame of this house in the church parking lot. Now, to make a long story short, all of this wood was to be left in the parking lot overnight, and someone had the bright idea that perhaps the youth group should stay at the church overnight and guard that wood so that no one would come along and steal it. So it just so happened that I was chosen as one of the sponsors or chaperones to come along and and make sure that the youth didn't get into too much trouble over the night. Um, and And so it was. I found myself hanging out at the church in the wee hours of the morning with a group of teenagers. Now, one particular girl stood out to me. Of all of the youth, she was the happiest. There was a sparkle in her eyes and a joy in her laughter that, in her laughter that spoke of a deep and pure childlike joy. But this joy was juxtaposed by the long, deep scars that ran down both of her arms. And so I knew that there was a story there. It just so happened that over the course of the evening, she shared part of her story. And I have never heard of such pain and suffering in someone so young. And yet, it is obvious that Jesus Christ has liberated her, that her faith mattered, and that it was fundamentally changing her life, even as she told her story. I expected that I would see God at work in some of the people I met this summer. I did not expect it to come in the form of a teenager, 
I did not expect to witness it in that level of healing and renewal. Good morning. I'm Annika Miller, a senior elementary education major. And this summer I was in Denver, Colorado, working with First Mennonite Church of Denver. When I applied to the inquiry program last year, I did it because I didn't necessarily know what else to do that summer. I ordered my preferences of churches on something of a whim and because I wanted to go west. As I got deeper into the process of figuring out my placement, however, I became more and more excited for what the summer had in store for me. But I still didn't know what to expect or what I really even wanted from the summer. Now, if you know me at all, which probably most of you don't, but it would make sense for me to tell you that I love organized schedules. I love to know what I'm doing and when I'm doing it. I like to be busy, but in a non-overwhelmed way, of course. In terms of the summer, I probably didn't even realize a concrete schedule was something I expected until it didn't happen. Oh, sure, from the beginning of the summer, I knew what I was going to do every Sunday, worship lead or do children's story or preach. But I didn't have a daily structure. Vern, the head pastor, gave me books to read, and I love to read, but books about theology take me a while. And that's what I was reading. Most days, I wouldn't even go into the church because I found it easier to read in a coffee shop or a park. I didn't expect my summer to be so unstructured. I didn't expect to spend so much time with my hosts, Dave and Gwen. I ended up running a lot of errands with Gwen, or going grocery shopping, or going on a walk, or going house hunting with them. They were selling theirs. And from these times, I learned a lot. I learned about their lives. I learned ways to articulate my faith. I learned a lot about myself. And I learned where the best ice cream places are in Denver. This didn't necessarily happen in one life-changing moment, though except for maybe the ice cream places. And I can't pinpoint one life-changing conversation with Dave or Gwen or other people, people I met, Jenny, Don and Theda, or Vern. But through conversations with Jenny and Theda, two women pastors, I learned that seminary might not be so bad. Through other FMC members, I learned that church can be a Sunday night jazz in the park with friends, food, and good conversation, surrounded by thousands of people. I learned that church can be a Thursday morning breakfast time with 70 to 90-year-old men who pride themselves on the fact that most of them are former pastors who have left the church. I learned that church can be sitting outside the Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico, watching thousands of bats spiral out of the caves, and I found church with anyone I hiked up a mountain with. This summer, I expected to have structure, to be in a church building most days. Instead, I found church and God in relationships I was able to make because I didn't have a strong structure. I was stretched out, and my faith formed in a slow way, People shaped me because we were present together without an agenda. Thank you.
Martin's going to come join me up here to sing together Alavare. Uh, so please stand and sing loud because I'm not that good and I don't want to look stupid. Let's sing in Spanish if you're able. And if you're not, there are some English words there. Martin Hofkamp. I am a third year PJ, Peace, Justice, Conflict Studies major, and I study Spanish, and I'm from Peabody, Kansas. Hello, everybody over here. Welcome to Goshen. I passed this summer working in a church that is anything but expected. This church congregate, the congregation at this church includes Latino folks that speak Spanish, Latino folks that don't speak Spanish. It includes Africans, from Africa, and it includes African Americans from this, um, Los Estados Unidos, from the United States. <laughs> it includes people with Vietnamese blood, and it includes people with El Salvadorian blood, and it includes me. And every Sunday, they translate the sermon with headsets, so people that don't understand Spanish can understand it in English when it's been, the sermon's being given in 
Spanish and vice versa when it's be being given in English. I had a lot to do this summer sometimes, and sometimes I did really strange things. You see, the pastor there had an incredible connection with the Latino community, and one day he got a phone call from this terrified Latina mother because her daughter had joined a cult. And the Latina mother wanted somebody to kidnap her daughter and take care of her until she got over the cult thing. <laughs> so he was like, what are we going to do? So I investigated the cult online, Wikipedia. The cult believes in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Mother. And I'm okay with all of that, but they also perform marriages with 5,000 people at a time. And the little, they have women that stay at this church for long hours during the day, sometimes up to 18 hours a day. And that was what was happening to this little girl. And she was spending 18 hours a day there, and her mother wanted us to, you know, save her. So Kirk sent me and my coworker Caesar up to Baltimore to investigate the cult. So we got in his two-door uh, Saturn and drove up to to Baltimore, and we arrived at the cult scene. And <laughs> no, it was bad. We 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 walked up and. And there were trash bags in all of the windows that prevented you from getting even a glimpse inside. The doors were locked, and I'm like, Caesar, you do not tell them my name. <laughs> and so we knocked, and I'm like, please, God, don't let them answer. <laughs> and thank God they didn't. They didn't want anybody talking to them. They weren't really interested in talking to us, so I was okay with that. But we were in Baltimore, and we'd driven an hour and a half to get there. So I called up Pastor Kirk and like, hey, Kirk, what should we do now? He's like, stay put. You need to wait it out. Okay, Kirk. <laughs> there, were, um, there were cars in the parking lot, so we know people were inside. It's just they didn't want to talk to us. And so we were sitting in the car, and it was not air-conditioned, and we were sweating bullets. And I was, I was like, what are we going to do? This is boring. And then three folks walked by that were covered in tattoos, and they stopped and started to talk to us. And we're like, we don't know you. Are you part of this cult? And it turns out they were carnival workers who had just been laid off and had spent the previous night under in a park and didn't have a place to stay and they wanted to know where a Catholic church was so somebody could help them. And I'm like, I'm not Catholic, but I might be able to help you. They needed some food really fast and they needed um, somebody to listen mostly. So it turns out that they had gotten laid off because one of them was having seizures at work and the other two quit and joined him and I didn't know what I thought about that story because I don't know if I would quit if if my buddies like got laid off because he was having seizures but the camaraderie impressed me so we went to a 7-eleven and I was like let's let's get some hot dogs so we had a good variety of hot dogs and some sweet tea and we're waiting in line in um, the 7-eleven when suddenly the guy, William, starts having a seizure on the floor. I've never seen a seizure before, and it's something to witness. He's lying on the ground twitching, and his eyes are rolling back in his head, and like, people start gathering around and offering helpful advice. The 7-Eleven employees, oh, you, should, you should take him to a hospital. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I used to get seizures all the time, but then I started smoking marijuana. They... They need to legalize marijuana. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I ignored his, uh, his like, 
whatever it was for legalized pot, and I was like, what are we gonna do? <laughs> and, and John, the most talkative of the group, was like, uh, we gotta take him home to his family in Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> they know how to take care of him. Um, yeah, we're, that's like 14 hours from here, and we've got a two-door Saturn, and it's rusting out of the bottom, and I don't know if we can all fit. And they're like, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. You don't have to take us all the way to Georgia. We, uh, his wife, he, he's, he, she's coming to pick us up here, and we're, we, can, uh, we can just take us down a little ways south, you know? And I'm like, these guys are kind of intimidating. They're kind of burly. They were, like, moving tents and stuff for the carnival. And, I, um, and they're speaking in terrible Georgian accents that I'm not going to intimidate here. Y'all, you know, it's like, we're not into that naked stuff. That would be, like, the vernacular. <laughs> And so we decide that, that we can give, I was like, oh, but we have a car. We can give you a ride from Baltimore to Washington, D.C. Um, that sounds like a good idea, right? And so I went back to join Caesar, who was still standing watch at the cult. And, right, there's a cult involved. You forgot that, didn't you? <laughs> and we go back to the cult, and, the, and they'd open the doors because they were letting out the congregation. And the congregation of this cult was like a dozen teenage girls. And the pastor was, uh, you know, a man in his 40s with slick back hair and kind of creepy. And because it's Sexual Violence Awareness Week, I just want to mention the fact that there's a critique to be had on society today that women get drawn into such cults because they can't find the image of God in themselves in the normal church because we don't use gender God language. But I digress. So we continue to talk, and the guy is like, what are you doing? And we told him what we were going to do, which was give these guys a ride from Baltimore to Washington, D.C., and he's like, they're going to take advantage of you. They're going to swindle you, but God bless you for it. <laughs> and I was like, and he said this in hearing range of those carnival workers, and I was like, how could you do that? That's just insulting. And God did bless us for it. We got in the car. And we drove to where their stuff was, underneath a bush in a park. And they took all their stuff that they owned in the whole world and shoved it in the trunk and then on their laps. And everybody had about up to here, except for the driver, um, with stuff on their laps of these possessions that all smelled like smokes because they were chain smokers. Though they did not smoke in the car, which I found was really polite of them. <laughs> so we were in the car driving, and the traffic was terrible. We were inching along. And so we started to talk, because that's what you do on long car rides, you talk. And I started asking questions, and I like asking questions, and the, John started telling me about his life. He told me about training lions and bears, and he had the scars on his arms to prove it. He told me about how the carnival mistreated the workers, how they paid them less than it, they charged them for room and board, and then turned off the electricity as soon as the show was over so they couldn't take hot showers. They told me about how carnival workers used to make so much more money when kids actually had to go outside to entertain themselves and weren't just on computers all day. He told me how the carnival was full of undocumented Canadians who were running from the Canadian law enforcement. <laughs> <laughs> he told me about how he'd taken a busload of Latinos to a Walmart and the Walmart had called for security because they, th they thought they were going to do like a mass rob of the place. He told me about passing time in Puerto Rico with, um, with this girl for two weeks who didn't speak any English and he didn't speak any Spanish and how they just lived together for two weeks and 
then one day she walked off and he never knew why. Maybe because you couldn't talk to her. <laughs> huh. He told me about his entire life. One, once, some chihuahuas threw, chewed through some, a propane tank or something, and his house blew up. And he barely survived, but the you know, chihuahuas turned into hot dogs. <laughs> right? And then he was like, oh yeah, and my... I was in Puerto Rico and, and I was at this church because sometimes I get a hankering to go to church and, and this guy laid his hands on me and started praying for me. And he couldn't have known I had lung cancer, but he just started praying for me. And I was like, wow. He's like, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. You know, I believe in God. My, my dad, he was a Pentecostal preacher. And I go, wow. He goes, yeah. And, and when, I, when we were young, we would help anybody. And I go, wow. But when I was in prison, nobody helped me. <laughs> Why were you in prison? drugs. I shot my brother-in-law. I looked at Caesar. <laughs> he looked at me. We both knew in that moment we were going to be murdered. <laughs> I started talking about myself real fast because I've seen those CBS specials where you t talk about yourself so they realize that you're human. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about my sister, <laughs> and my mother, and my father, and my family, and my community. I think it's a shame that people don't help anybody these days. <laughs> it, we were in this car for three hours, and the temperature was disgusting. And we were creeping along, and we finally arrived at, at where we, were gonna, we agreed to drop them off at the subway. And I was like, oh my God, goodness, they're going to return our good deed with violence because they could easily do that. There were three of them and two of us and they were a lot bulkier than I am. I'm a lot bulkier than I, I'm, I look a lot bulkier than I actually am, especially in this sweater. <laughs> so we exited the car and, and they were like, thank you so much. And then they went inside and I never saw them again. And I was like, wow, what do you do with an experience like that? Like, I'm never gonna see these people again. I have no idea if they're still alive or if they're still smoking, um, but I think about them sometimes, and, and I even think about those girls in the cult. But most of all, he told me why he shot his brother-in-law. It was because he was beating his sister, and, and I think about what I would do if someone was beating my sister. I, I mean, their, their, their stories were strange, and it was unfortunate that life had put them in a position where he had shot somebody, but if I was in that position, I don't and I was intoxicated. I don't know if I would have shot my brother-in-law if he was beating my sister. So I think that it's important to realize that we meet other people and that they're not that different from us. And I think that it's also um, important to recognize that it's probably unwise to pick up multiple people in, in the manner that I did, but I don't think it's wrong. I think sometimes that we, do, we should do unwise things because, because they lead to experiences that are important and meaningful. I think that when we live in fear, we are living in sin. I think it's important to do unwise acts of kindness in, in order to fully understand what it means to be Christian, but more importantly, what it, to understand what it means to be fully human. Thank you very much.
Please turn in Sing the Story to number 124, and let's stand to sing My Soul Cries Out, number 124. We'll sing verses 1, 2, and 4. My name is Ben Breckbill. I am a senior music and Bible and religion major, and I spent my summer at Silverwood Mennonite Church here in Goshen. As you can tell, we all had profound, unexpected, life-changing encounters this summer. And as you go forward today, I encourage you to go forward fearlessly and open to the unexpected in all your doings and all your meetings with other people, because this is how we saw the Spirit of God at work in the world. College students are dismissed, and I think perspectives, please stay here for more information. Thank you.